0: Coming to you from Classic City,
1: the capital of the
0: Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and today on the podcast, I am answering all of your questions most pressing Georgia sports questions. I know some of you out there might be wondering, hey man, where's the basketball-centric episode that I teased at the end of Monday's episode? And I promise that one's coming. It's coming, guys. But hear me out here. The word is there is yet another this I'm a mystery transfer that we have a great shot of landing later on this week. I'm recording this Wednesday evening. Word is that that mystery recruit will go public at some point Thursday afternoon. So I didn't think it made a ton of sense to go ahead and come on here and do the basketball episode today to update you guys on the progress that Mike White has made in building out and reshaping this roster and then have another big piece of the puzzle, allegedly big piece of the puzzle, commit to the good guys the day after I record that episode. I know that's kind of annoying. I get that. But I'd rather wait, if you're asking me, I'd rather wait and have a more comprehensive picture of the team. So yeah, next week, I promise, next week, We really will get to that episode because I really do, guys. I want to talk some Georgia basketball because I am extremely, extremely excited about what Mike White and his new staff have done in the transfer portal, especially in a very short window of time. I think this team might be pretty interesting next year, and we'll talk more about that next week. But for today, we're going to be dipping into the listener mailbag You know i didn't really realize this until like two days ago but with spring practice taking center stage in april we've only been able to do i think one mailback episode in the last month and that episode was focused exclusively on spring practice so it's about time to, to open things back up jump back in here and widen the conversation a little bit beyond just spring practice which i know admittedly we did focus on heavily over the past month so let's go ahead and get started and i love our question of the day today those of you who have been listening for a long time which i know is a lot of you out there you know you've heard me say many times that i think recruiting is the lifeblood of a college football program i will always believe that i believe that our recruiting success under kirby smart has been the primary driver of our elevation to the national championship and now what i believe is elite status in the college football landscape. So I'm excited that Lawrence has a really good in-depth recruiting question to kick it off here today. It's not about any specific player, not one player here, one player there. It's about recruiting in general, a big picture look at recruiting and Georgia's place in the college football recruiting landscape. So Lawrence, I appreciate this man, great question. Lawrence asks, I've heard you call Georgia a recruiting superpower. I tend to agree, but I am curious on your thoughts on why that is considering Georgia just won its first national title since 1980 and does not have the history of success that other programs do, yet still finds a way to out-recruit them consistently? Help me make sense of it. Great question. And look, Lawrence, I, I would agree with you that, yeah, I know obviously there's nothing to agree with here. It's just a fact that we won our first national title since 1980, more than 40 years. And it's fair to say that we don't have the level of national success in terms of like hardware winning national titles that a program like Alabama does or even Clemson in in the recent past. Throw Ohio State in there. Throw, I guess, Oklahoma in there. I guess they won. Well, they only won one national title under Bob Stoops, right? If I remember that correctly. But they won a load of Big 12 titles. So yeah, maybe we haven't had the kind of success that those programs have, but who has? I mean, we've been knocking on the door more than I think most programs out there. But your point is made. I get it. It stands we aren't on the level of Alabama in terms of how many national titles our program has won. Now, we're on their level right now in the in the present day, but in terms of like long-term history, going back 20, 30 years, 40 years, whatever, back to the days of Air Bryant, no, they've won far more national titles. Now, quite a few of those aren't so legitimate, but you know, whatever, fair enough. But I would still argue in the, the larger landscape of college football, that we have been an extraordinarily successful program i think we're up to second now in the sec in the history of the sec and sec titles behind alabama so it's not like we've been some afterthought. i don't think that your suggestion that we are but we've had a lot of success and we have a lot of tradition here in our own right just maybe not like ohio state alabama level when it comes to the hardware the national titles but i think you have to start the answer to this with proximity of course proximity to talent matters And guys, if you have not been paying attention, Georgia, and it's not a recent thing, it's been over the last decade or so, Georgia has become one of the, if not the absolute best state for football recruiting in the United States of America. And you can really extend this beyond football, basketball, tennis, baseball, softball. There is a lot of athletic talent in the state of Georgia. I'm sure I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know, and I'm sure a lot of you saw this over the weekend. There were a lot of numbers floating around. Obviously, with the success that we had with our draft, with 15 guys getting drafted overall, setting the NFL draft record for a single draft, but there are also numbers floating out there regarding how many draft picks came from various states. Texas was number one in this past draft last weekend, with 32 players drafted coming from that state. Georgia was second with 32 Players hailing from the great state of Georgia, but here's the kicker: you can't just look at those numbers. There's more context to it. Texas has about three times the number of people that live in that state than we do here in Georgia. They have roughly 29, 30 million people in Texas. We have a little over 10, about 10 and a half million people that live in the state of Georgia. So per capita, we're blowing other states out of the water when it comes to the amount of high-level talent. We're talking like professional-level talent. That this state is producing now. This past draft, obviously, with all, with all the players that we had drafted from our program, that was the high water mark for us recently. But it's again, it's nothing new. Back in 2021, we had the third most players drafted that came from the state of Georgia. 2020, again, third most players drafted in the state of Georgia. And who are the progr- Who are the states that are, are beating Georgia? Texas, obviously, we just mentioned them. California, Florida, look at the numbers, guys. California, Texas, Florida, the three most populous states in the entire country. California, with almost 40 million people, about four million, about four times more, actually, than what Georgia has. Texas, with just under 30 million. Florida, with just under 22 million. Georgia, coming in at 10.6 million people, give or take a couple hundred thousand. So proximity to talent, to high-level talent, and being able to sell that to in-state kids who some of them grow up loving Georgia. Now, one thing that does make it tough for Georgia is the metro Atlanta area, which is the most populous part of the state, has also been the most transient part of the state with people moving in for better job opportunities, better economic opportunities, just lower cost of living, all of the reasons why I knew the state of Georgia. And when they come from other parts of the country, They don't have the natural ties to the home state teams. That's why we've had trouble recruiting in metro areas like Winnett County, which has been pretty well documented over the years, because the home state pool is not as strong there as it is in, like, South Georgia and Northeast Georgia, Northwest Georgia, places like that, where you have kids who are part of families that have been native Georgians for generations those kids are easier to sell like the home state pool to than a kid, typically speaking, from the metro Atlanta area. But bottom line, proximity matters. Proximity to talent absolutely matters. In Georgia, the number spelled out, guys. Georgia is at the very least one of the top three or four states in terms of producing high level talent. And again, I think you can make the argument, a very strong argument, in fact, that per capita, Georgia is the best state for high school athletic talent. So that's a great starting point. That's why programs like Ole Miss and Mississippi State, they have trouble sustaining periods of success because they just don't have the natural talent base. A program like Arkansas, they can have windows of success, pockets of success, but they have a hard time sustaining it long-term because they don't have those kind of players they don't have access those players within their home state sure they're in the southeast that gives them a leg up over programs like the northeast and from the west coast and recruiting some of these kids from states in the southeast because they're at least like relatively close in proximity but it's not the same as being the home state school so i would be remiss if i didn't mention that and i think that's the obvious place to start but i also would argue strongly that you simply cannot just stop there because what about teams like Georgia Tech? What about UCLA in California? What about Cal in California? What about Texas Tech in Texas? Those are all programs that live in recruiting hotbeds. They're located in recruiting hotbeds, but they don't recruit at a high level. And I know Texas Tech is off to a good start in this in this year's class, but traditionally, I mean Texas Tech's an afterthought when it comes to recruiting. Cal. Don't even, like, it's not even in the conversation. UCLA, a little bit better under Chip Kelly. And they, they, again, they've had pockets of success, got a guy here or there, but they don't recruit at a tremendously high level year in and year out. Georgia Tech, <laughs> it's an absolute joke. It's an absolute joke. Like They shouldn't even be in the conversation, but yet all those all those programs are in talent-rich states. So it's obviously not just about proximity. That's That's a great starting point and it absolutely matters, but there's far more to it. There's more layers to it. Now, as far as I'm concerned, proximity does matter. But I think, personally, the biggest factor in recruiting success and becoming a recruiting superpower, like I believe that the University of Georgia is, is how big the fan base is and how much does that fan base care. I think that is massive. To me, that is the biggest indicator of whether or not your program Has the potential, whether it is or has the potential to become a big time college football program. That's why I don't believe Georgia Tech will ever, ever become a big time college football program ever again. I don't believe. I just don't believe. They don't have the fan base. They don't have a a big enough fan base, and their fan base just doesn't care. Now, I know there are some old hardcore techies here and there, but by and large, you don't don't see that kind of passion. It just doesn't exist. Now, if they got a Nick Saban caliber coach, that was a young, dynamic guy. Would more people get into it? Yeah, sure, but it still would not be hardcore to the level of the University of Georgia. It just simply would not. So tech, in my opinion, will just never get to that point because they don't have what I think you have to have, a big fan base and a big fan base that cares. Because a fan base that cares, guys, It attracts recruits for a number of reasons. Big game environment, the campus environment. Hey, They get to be the big man on campus. And young people eat that stuff up, guys. I'm just telling you, they do. I work with these people for a living. It's what they eat up. They love it. We're all driven to a degree by our ego. We all have egos uh, to some degree, on some level. But these guys have been told how great they are forever. They want to feel that on campus. They want that experience. So all that's a part of them. But more than that, the size and the passion of the fan base is strongly correlated. There's a very strong positive correlation between the degree to which a fan base cares and the quantity and quality of the resources a program has to work with when it comes to recruiting players. Because guys, recruiting players is not cheap you got to spend money to make that happen, right? You have to be dedicated to it. You have to have the resources to go out and recruit them and then also attract those players. Let's just say the SEC, for example, the entire conference, not a specific program, the entire conference. This is a Georgia podcast. So you guys live in SEC country. I think we would all agree here that the SEC is the best conference year in, year out. It is the conference that dominates college football. We all know that. But why is that? is it just because the programs are better? I mean, to, a, to an extent, yeah, but why are the programs better? Because people care more. The slogan, it just means more, is the most fitting slogan maybe of the 21st century. It, it, it's absolutely dead on accurate. It just means more in SEC country. And that matters because it attracts TV networks who give those conferences massive paychecks because the SEC does have the most passionate fans. That's literally, there's no argument to that. The Big Ten has their passionate fans too, don't get me wrong, they do, but it's not an SEC level passion. It's just not. It's just simply not. So the SEC has the most passionate fans, which equates to eyeballs that will watch those teams because they are passionate about their teams which then equates to ratings, which then equates to advertising dollars for the networks. And the networks turn around and pay a handsome fee for the right to broadcast these games to those conferences. And then the teams within the conference, they get the payout from the conference and they use that payout to fund massive facility upgrades, which enhance their ability to recruit even better players. And then on top of that, programs like ours, the the truly privileged programs in the best conference of college football, the SEC, have this large and passionate fan base, which fills up a massive stadium and pays handsomely in donations for the right to fill up said stadium, and who also answer the call when asked to donate even more money to fund swanky facility upgrades. And pay top dollar for coaches top dollar for recruiting staff player personnel guys nutritionists and the list goes on and on and now you also have nil so these programs that have passionate boosters they're the ones that are finding ways to fund these massive nil deals which is enhancing their ability to recruit in the modern age it is a self-sustaining cycle that's what it is guys recruiting is a self-sustaining cycle that is rooted in the size and passion of the fan bases here in the southeastern conference which obviously georgia is part of and then within the conference within like just the national college football scene georgia has one of the largest and most passionate followings in college football do we have the most passionate the largest fan base in college football I don't know if you can quantify that. I don't know how you quantify that. I mean, the homer me wants to say, yeah, absolutely. Do you not see how we travel all over the country to support our team? I mean, I travel to every single road game and have done that for over a decade. Why do I do that? Because I care. Guys, I spend a sizable chunk of my paycheck every year to do that. Some would call that crazy. And you know what? It probably is. You know, it probably is. But you know what? I don't care. I love college football. I love the University of Georgia and there are other people like me. I'm not alone. Like That's the beautiful thing. In the world of Georgia football fandom, of University of Georgia athletics fandom, I'm not alone. I'm not the weird one. It's almost weird if you don't love Georgia that much, if you're not that committed and that dedicated and that passionate about your program, and that's just what makes the SEC and the University of Georgia different, and that's what drives, ultimately, at the root of all this, is what drives our ability to recruit the way that we do and attract the top players around the country. So yeah, I think that's at the root, truly, I think that's at the root of why we are a recruiting superpower. Proximity certainly matters. I'm not sitting here saying it doesn't. Of course it does because there are some really passionate Ole Miss fans and Mississippi State fans and Arkansas fans, but they just don't have the access to talent the way that we do. And their fan bases are obviously are not as big as ours. So that that factors in as well. But I think that's at the root of it. And then, of course, there are other kind of what I would call ancillary factors that certainly matter, but they're not the biggest reason. I think location, like even beyond proximity to talent, like where your university is located, I think that matters. You know, the weather here in Georgia is generally speaking nice. Yeah, obviously, we know it gets really, really hot in the summer, And that, I don't love that. I'm not a big summer guy. It's just too freaking hot, but it doesn't get that cold in the winter. We have mild winters, relatively speaking. We also happen to be located in the greatest college town in the United States of America. I happen to call this place home and I love it dearly. So maybe I'm a little biased. Sure, okay. But there are plenty of other people that would echo what I say and don't live here. Plus, you got top 15 public universities, so you get a great education. So there are a lot of things going for the University of Georgia, but I think when it comes down to it, it is access to talent and the passion of the fan base. It's really that simple. So when a program has those things going for it, and then you marry it with the most hard-driving, dynamic recruiter, the most relentless recruiter in the game and Kirby Smart, who has both the drive and ability to activate and maximize all of those inherent advantages, game over. Game over, guys. That is how you become a recruiting superpower. Not apologizing for it because I think that was an important question. I had a good time discussing that, talking about it, because I think it's it's a big deal. But I know we have a lot more to get to. So let's go ahead and move on here. Question number two like this is like a 1A question of the day. Like it's it's right there below the the recruiting question. Like, in fact, if I didn't get that question, this probably would have been the question of the day. So great question. This one comes from Terry. Terry, in light of the NFL draft. Wants me to compare Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. Very interesting. So Terry says, Will Anderson versus Jalen Carter. Who will be more valuable to his team next season and who will get drafted higher in the 2023 NFL draft? So a little bit of a two part question here. I'll take part one first. Who's going to be more valuable to his team next season? Man, this is tough, Terry. This is a good question because these might be the two best. Football players in the country next year. I mean, I mean that. Like both sides of the ball might be the two best players in the country, certainly two of the best defensive players in the country, no question asked. And they've proven themselves. Now, Will Anderson had an insane year, just a, a hellish sophomore year. This guy, honestly, I mean, I know we all love Trevon Walker, and I'm so pumped that he went number one. Will Anderson might have gone number one overall if he was in this past year's draft, if he would have been eligible. But he was not eligible, and Trevon went first, so boom, let's go. But Anderson's dynamic, guys. I'm not gonna sit here and crap on Will Anderson because this dude is the real deal. I think he probably should have won the Heisman last year. I know his teammate won. I know Bryce Young won it because it's essentially a quarterback awards. How many yards do you throw for and how good is your team if you're a quarterback? So what it comes down to. But I think Will Anderson was the best player on that team. I think he was better than Bryce Young. I think he was more of an impact player than even Bryce Young was. But Jalen Carter is no slouch in his own right. Now, Jalen Carter did not get to star on our defense the way that Will Anderson was featured and starred on the Alabama defense last year, but that was because we had a ton of big-time players in front of them. You guys just saw the NFL draft. I mean, think about this, guys. This is how good Jalen Carter was. You had two first-round draft picks—actually, three first-round draft picks on the defensive line with Walker, Jordan Davis— and Devontae Wyatt. And Jalen Carter still found a way to eat into their snaps and to play a lot for us last year. That's how good that guy is. So Jalen Carter, no, he didn't have the season that Will Anderson had last year. And obviously they played different positions. Will Anderson plays a premier pass rushing position. That's what he's asked to do, which you're going to put up numbers, which people like to see, because let's just be real. A lot of people don't actually understand football. They look at numbers and say, oh, that guy's really good. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, there's context. People ignore context they don't understand the context. But regardless, again, Will Anderson, fantastic. I'm not here to say he wasn't. But in terms of who's going to be the most valuable player to his team in 2022, I think I'm going to go Jalen Carter here. And I know that people are going to say I'm a homer. I know that argument gets thrown at me all the time. That's fine. Whatever. If you believe that, I'm not going to change your mind. I'm not going to be able to change your mind. It's okay. But let me back up that statement. Again, I am not trying to suggest that Will Anderson is overrated or anything like that. No, I think the guy is fantastic. He is amazing. I wish he was on our team. He got out of the state of Georgia. I'm frustrated we allowed that to happen because, man, imagine our defense with Will Anderson. Just ridiculous. But I think it's a matter more so than talent. I think talent, you can argue that they're very comparable. Again, they play. They both play on the defensive line, but they play different positions. They're asked to do different things. Their role is just different. But if you're talking about value, like MVP, who's going to be the most valuable player, Will Anderson is not the only dynamic pass rusher on that Alabama defense. If Will Anderson goes down, Alabama is going to be okay. I knock on word for the guy. I don't want him to go down. But when you've got Dallas Turner, who really came on strong late in his true freshman season last season, is a dynamic pass rusher. He does not play the run as well as Will Anderson does. Obviously, he's too light in the britches to do that consistently as he was last year, but he's a dynamic pass rusher. And then Braswell, who's also a highly rated guy, has really come on for them as well. So they have a kind of a three-headed pass rushing monster off the edge right now. So if Will Anderson goes down, they still have two guys that are as good off the edge as just about anybody in the country. So when you think about that, and you compare that with Jalen Carter, who, again, we just saw three guys off our 2021 defensive line go in the first round of the NFL draft. Jalen Carter is the unquestioned leader of that defensive line. And don't get me wrong, we have some good players. I really like Zion Logue. I like what I what I've seen from Ron Ingram Dawkins in a very small sample size. Same thing with Warren Brinson. I like what you've what we've seen from these guys, but they're not Jalen Carter. They're not on his level. I mean, God forbid, if Jalen Carter goes down, we might be in trouble in the defensive line. Again, we have good players, but we don't have... I don't know if we have another another difference maker right now who's ready to be a difference maker. I think we have some really good young talent, but are they ready to do what Jalen Carter is going to be doing in his third year here in Athens, his money year? I don't think so. I I think the answer is no. So in terms of value next season, I think Jalen's the more valuable player. Now, who's going to get drafted higher in the NFL draft next year? There, I'll probably go Will Anderson. And that's because he just plays more of a glamour position. There's more value placed on edge rushers in the NFL than there are on elite interior defensive linemen. Now, interior defensive linemen are very, very valuable too. We saw Jordan Davis go in the top 15. We saw Devontae Wyatt go in the first round. Those guys are very valuable as well. But I still would argue now in the NFL with how pass-centric it has become the quarterback's the most important position on the field. I think receiver, like an elite alpha wide receiver might have become the second most important position on the field now. Then you got left tackle who protects your, your franchise quarterback. And then right after that, I would say the edge rusher who's trying to take down the franchise quarterback. I think those are the most valuable positions in, in the NFL right now. So I, th- I think it's just a value play. And Will Anderson, not only is he, he, does he play a more valuable position, but He's going to put up massive numbers, and he's going to do it two years in a row. He's going to be in the Heisman Trophy conversation. I think Will Anderson, uh, right now, if I had to bet, I would say he makes at least makes a trip to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. So, yeah, I, I would say Jalen's more valuable to our team next season, but Will Anderson probably goes higher in next year's draft. All right, moving on here. Jamie has a good question. He asks, "How would you rate the new coaching hires up to this point?" do you notice any changes that will make us better this season? It's this a great question, Jamie. It's an important question. It's one that I'm going to be watching closely as we get closer and closer to the 2022 season. But honestly, right now, it's hard to give a grade because we just don't have much evidence to work with. We have reports, we have what I hear coming out of the program, but it's really hard to tell. We don't even have a recruiting class right now. Now, there are some things you can tell, you know, following social media and reading reports on on how well these guys are recruiting, the kind of players they're getting us involved with, the living rooms they're getting into, all those kind of things. But it's just really hard to gauge it all that accurately right now. But I will say early returns are extremely positive. Brian McClendon is is going to be a big-time recruiter for us at the wide receiver position. Fran Brown, guys, I have heard some incredible things about him coming out of of the the, the bus mirror building. I mean, I've been told that he, right now, might already be the best recruiter on, on staff. And that's saying something when you're talking about the recruiting staff that Georgia has. You have to be able to recruit at a high level to coach for the University of Georgia. Kirby Smart demands that. And like when I was told that he was maybe the best recruiter on staff, like they haven't seen a guy like attack it this hard with that kind of ability, I was like, no, man, I, like you're just you're you're just exaggerating here, it's hyperbole, obviously. It's like no, like really, like he's that good. Trust me on that. And the results will ultimately be this recruiting class and recruiting classes to come, things like that. Now. But the vibe I'm getting, the word I'm getting is extremely positive with not just Fran Brown. I mean, he's the one that I've been told is like just absolutely murdering it right now. But I'm hearing a lot of the same things about Uzo Daribe, the new outside linebackers coach. A lot of the same things I'm hearing about Fran Brown. And the, the general theme with those two guys seems to be that they are young and hungry and they can relate to the players. And you can't you can't overrate that, guys. You simply cannot overvalue that. It's so important. I mean, nil is really important now too. We know that, but the ability to relate to these players and just not be the weird old guy like Dan Mullen was, right? That awkward guy that just can't relate to players. To be able to speak their language, to be able to connect with them on a deeper level. You you can't oversell how important that is. And both these guys, again, early returns, what I've heard so far, both those guys seem to be elite in that regard. And I am very excited to see what they're going to be able to do in this recruiting class and next year's recruiting class. And then once we get into the the early parts of the season, I can give you more of an accurate take on what they're doing from an actual on-field coaching standpoint. But right now, that's just really hard for me to do. I don't want to speculate without having more actual evidence to work off of that I've actually seen with my own two eyes. But great question, Jamie. I always appreciate it, man. All right. Next question is from Justin. Appreciate it, Justin. And Justin asks, going back to spring practice, says, obviously it's just a scrimmage, but are you at all worried about how much it seemed like the second string defense was getting gashed in the first half? It worries me about depth a little bit. So obviously this question from Justin I've been holding on to for a week or two, but I want to get to it here today because it's the first mailbag we've done since, uh, since I think he sent this question in. So I'll definitely touch on it here, Justin. Appreciate the question. I'm not all that worried. I mean, I'm I, I can't sit here and say that I'm, I'm not worried at all because we did lose a ton of elite players to the NFL draft, so there's there's a level of concern. But I'm not going to allow myself to freak out about what I saw at G day because you just got to factor in there were a number of injuries. I mean, inside linebacker was a mash unit. No C J Washington, no Ryan Davis, no Smile Monden, no Kamari Lasker at cornerback, no Marlon Dean on the edge. So there were just some injuries that forced us to kind of shuffle some things around, had some guys that were going to be on the second year that were working with the the one defense that probably won't be with the one defense. Once the season rolls around, there were some guys that were further down the depth chart that weren't active and ready to play. So I do think that factors into it a lot. So because of that, I'm not altogether worried about it. I would agree with you that we need to develop some of those guys and need to develop them quickly. But I actually thought I saw some good things from some of those guys on the second defense. I thought Warren Brinson flashed athleticism, some explosiveness on the defensive line. I thought Nas Stackhouse showed that he could be a contributor up there as well. I really liked what I saw from Daylon Everett, the true freshman early enrollee. I know he's really young, his head's still spinning, but I thought he flashed some really, really good things back there. I thought Nylon Green at corner also showcased that he has a chance to be in the conversation to get some playing time this year as well. So you're right, we did get gashed early in the in the first half of that, of that G-Day scrimmage. But let's also give some credit to the offense. I know when you talk about spring scrimmages, it's cliche, but it's still true. It doesn't mean it's any less true. When things don't go so well on one side of the ball, that means something's going right on the other side of the ball. And we have a a, a quarterback right now in Carson Beck who's been around for a little while. And this guy, I think he could start for a number of teams in the SEC. I don't think he's going to start for us, but I think he could start for a number of teams in the SEC. We have some really good skill talent that we're able to make some plays. So I think you have to factor that into the, the conversation as well.
1: Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
0: Okay, back to it here. We've got a couple more questions to get to today before I get out of here. And next up, we have a question from Wyatt. And Wyatt is looking at the transfer portal, which of course this time of year is all the rage. Now the transfer portal has officially closed for new entrance for the 2022 season. It closed on May 1st, but Wyatt asked with the 2022 transfer portal closing on May 1st, as I just said, time is running out on Georgia adding players to fill holes on the roster. Are there any names you know of that Georgia is after in the portal? And why this is a question that we've gotten a couple of times over the past couple of months, because everyone wants to know, like, who are those big time additions? What holes are we going to be able to fill? Because every team has holes, no matter how talented you are. Even Alabama has holes right now. Like, who's going to play left tackle for Alabama? I don't know. That's a big question mark for them. And we are no different. We have holes on this team that we could really, really use an impact transfer coming in that can can compete and contribute right away. We could use some experienced help in the secondary, whether it's a safety, whether it's a cornerback. I think we could use an experienced pass rusher off the edge. A guy that can come in to be an impact player off the edge. We can certainly benefit from that, and maybe even a wide receiver too. Now, Curtis and I have talked about how we feel really good with the group of wide receivers that we have. Like, I know that they have to take it to the next level. I understand that. Guys like Lad McConkey, obviously AD Mitchell, but I feel really good about the group that we have. I think we have a lot of talented players there. If they can stay healthy, which has been tough for guys like Arian Smith and Don Blaylock, Kiers Jackson was out most of last year with an injury, at least wasn't fully healthy most of last year with an injury. So if those guys can stay healthy and take the next logical step forward in their progression, I think we're good at receiver. But I also would be very excited if we added a guy that I know can be an impact player. And of course, the first name you think of is Jordan Addison, the guy from Pitt, the Bolitnikoff Award winner for the nation's best wide receiver last year, over 1,500 yards catching passes from Kenny Pickett last year. This guy is the truth, man. He is the real deal. I watched a fair amount of Pitt last year because they were really good and they were a contender in the ACC and obviously ultimately ended up winning the ACC. And I can tell you, Jordan Addison can play for anybody. There's zero doubt in my mind. It wasn't a fluke just putting up big numbers in a so-so conference. i mean, sure there was some of that, but this guy can play. He's the real deal. And man, I would love to eat my words on this. The words I'm about to say, I really would, but I just don't really see us as, as a true player there. I'm sure Kirby Smart is going to reach out and He's going to make that call and see if there's any way we can gain some traction. But it's clear what's running that transfer and what's running that recruitment. It's NIL. We know that the rumors were that USC was tampering with him and offering offering him an NIL deal. and went back and forth. Pitt was trying to match and USC would match. And the, the rumor is it's up to $3 million deal now. Like That's the asking price. And if we really wanted to dig deep, I'm sure that we could find that money. But it's like we said a couple weeks ago on the show. I'm with Curtis on this. I don't think that we are that desperate in terms of needing help at wide receiver to offer this guy a $3 million deal. But I mean, hey, if there's some dude out there with just money burning a hole in his pocket and wants to pony up $3 million, he's happy to do it. I mean, hey, I'd take him, obviously. He's that talented. But if our collective functions how I think it functions, and I'm still not exactly sure how it functions because it's a very new thing. But if there's a pool of money that we have to operate with With this collective that we have, I don't imagine that receiver is as high on the list as some other positions. But again, if you can get an impact player, maybe you just say, Hey guys, it's an impact player. It's like the NFL draft. You might not have that need, but if you think that guy is that good, you take the best player available and you make it work out. So maybe it's a situation where you try to do that. But again, I I think it's a moot point because I don't think Jordan Addison is going to be coming to Athens. I would love to be wrong. I really, really would, but I think his more likely landing spot would be USC with the Lincoln Riley offense, maybe a program like Alabama, because I still think they're going to be looking for receivers. I mean, I know they got Jermaine Burton, but like we said, I think in our last mailbag episode, I'm not sold on Jermaine Burton as a Jamison Williams, Devontae Smith type impact player in Alabama. So maybe they're going to get involved and you've got Bryce Young, you know, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner? Because I think that might be what it comes down to. Sure, it's going to be NIL, but a lot, I think there are be some schools that are willing to offer that who are going to say, hey, man, we got $3 million. And he's going to have to make a choice between some of those schools. If it truly is about, well, uh, clearly it's about NIL to a large degree, but if it's also about, about his development for the NFL draft and, and preparing to be a, a high-level pick in the NFL draft next year and be an impact player right off the bat which gets, once he gets to the NFL, if it's really about that, I mean, just look at the guys that he's looking at. Look at Lincoln Riley with his offense with Caleb Williams. Look at Alabama with the way their offense has been functioning at an extraordinarily high level the past couple years. You got the rating highs from Trevor Winner and Bryce Young. And then you look at Georgia and we don't First off, we don't throw the ball as much as those teams, and we also have Brock Bowers returning. We have this tight end room that is maybe the best tight end room in college football history, who are, who are all going, going to get a lot of touches. You have A.D. Mitchell coming back, who, sure, you would still, you know, say the Blitnikoff award winner would probably be the number one wide receiver, but A.D. Mitchell's coming into his own, in his own right. And then we know how the nation perceives Stetson Bennett as this, as this, I mean, I think I feel like half the country still thinks that Stetson Bennett is a walk-on, like that, doesn't really understand that he is on scholarship right now. I still feel like half the country, maybe more than that, looks at him in that way. I don't look at him in that way. I think Curtis still does. And maybe some of you out there do. I know a lot of people still do, whatever. But if you're looking at it from that perspective, why would Georgia be the answer, right? So I think all signs point to being elsewhere. But again, Kirby Smart's a great recruiter. I never write Kirby off. And NIL can change the game. Maybe again, we have somebody that can pony up even more than $3 million and make him an offer he can't refuse. I don't know. I just think that's unlikely at this point. But that's a name you got to start with. Now, another name at the wide receiver position that I've heard some smoke around, and I don't know how realistic this, is, this one is either, but a transfer from UCF, a guy named Jalen Robinson, who's not a huge guy. He's one of the shorter shift year guys that's really come in vogue over the past couple of years. 5'9", 180 pounds, didn't have a huge year last year, dealt with some injuries, only had 18 receptions for 322 yards. But in 2020, now this was under Josh Heupel's offense, a different kind of offense. In 2020, he had 55 catches for just a shade under a thousand yards, 979 yards, six touchdowns, averaged 17.8 yards per attempt. If we are, look or per catch, if we're looking for a wide receiver, that's a guy I think you have to look long and hard at. Now again, same thing with Jordan Addison. He's going to have options. Is the Georgia offense an offense that he's going to be able to showcase his skill set and his mind to the degree that's going to help him get prepared for the NFL draft? And I know we just put a ton of guys in the draft this past draft, but a lot of those guys are d- defensive players. We didn't really have, we haven't had much success putting guys in the NFL draft at that receiver position, which I know everyone wants to talk about how we struggle recruiting wide receivers and I, I'm not going to refute that. I, I think that we have recruited better that position than people want to give us credit for, but I understand it's not the level like an Alabama or an Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. I get that, but a big part of that I, I'll continue to say, and I, I kind of said this at times to to defend Cortez Hankton. I think Cortez could have re- done a better job recruiting. I think that's fair, but the fact is our offense is not has not been super receiver friendly. Guys, we are still In a situation at UGA where we have had one receiver in the history of our program go over a thousand yards. And that's in the modern context of this offensive explosion that we've had. We still only had one receiver go over a thousand yards. It's tough to sell elite receivers on the idea that our offense is what's going to allow them to put up numbers and build hype so they can make a lot of money by getting drafted early in the NFL draft when they can look at receivers that come out of Alabama and Oklahoma and Ohio State and they're routinely getting drafted in the first round, I understand why there would be some hesitation on the part of an elite receiver or even like a borderline elite receiver or even a very good receiver who has options. I can see why there might be some hesitation in choosing to transfer to Georgia out of the transfer pool. I can see that. So, there's that, but I do think that we're in it for Jalen Robinson. I know that we are actually recruiting him, and it would not shock me if we were able to land him. I don't know if we're the favorite. I don't know anything right now. I haven't heard anything sh- like hard on, on that end, but he's certainly a guy that we're looking at. Just a name to kind of put in your back pocket. Outside of that, man, I really, I really don't know. I don't know who the big-time guys are the name brand guys that you all would know that would come in and make an immediate impact right off the bat. Another name I've heard at outside linebacker as an edge rusher is a guy that I'm sure almost none of you have heard of because he played in the FCS last year. His name's Isaiah Land. He's from Florida A&M. He was the FCS defensive player of the year last year. Guy had 19 sacks, so he is a pass rush extraordinaire. That's what he does by definition, he rushes the passer, but he's the lighter guy. When you when you do your reading on him and look him up and try to figure out what he's all about, you find out he's 6'4", 215 pounds. You can rush the passer at that weight, but it's kind of like Adam Anderson. In fact, he's even smaller than Adam Anderson was. Remember all the talk years ago about how dynamic of a rusher Adam Anderson was when he was on the field, but it was hard for him to stay on the field because he didn't have the weight necessary to be able to play like the true outside linebacker position for us, a jack position, anywhere on the edge there, and effectively set the edge against the run. And you wonder a guy who's 6'4", 215, if he can't add some serious weight, is he going to be able to do that, not just not just at the FBS level, but at the SEC level and function effectively in the best and most physical conference in all of college football. I have questions there, but he does have the pass rushing ability, and maybe we think you can get him in here and add some weight with our nutrition program, with our strength program, and he can be at least a rotational situational type player for us. And he's another guy, when you're talking about the, the the reigning FCS Defensive Player of the Year, there are other programs that are after him as well. It's not just Georgia. It's not the diamond in the rough that only we know about, but we're throwing our hat in the ring there and we're recruiting him and we'll see what happens. So there's a couple of names, but outside of that, I really just don't know. There's, there's not a bunch of those big names there. We'll see how it plays out. And really, we're not in a great position from a scholarship number standpoint to be adding guys. We did not have as many guys enter the transfer portal as I anticipated. So at the end of the day, I just don't know how big of a player we're going to be here in the late stages of the 2022 transfer portal. I just don't know. Okay, next question. We're going to circle back to the recruiting front. This question is from Carter. Appreciate it, man. Carter asked, what happened with Dylan Rayola? And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name correctly. It's been about a year that this guy's been on my radar and I've never actually heard anyone say his name out loud. But the way that I read it and the way I'm pronouncing it is Rayola. Dylan, I got. Rayola, not as sure, but we're going to go with that. So Carter asks, what happened with Dylan Rayola? Didn't Wiltfong, who is 247's, what, was? Maybe he still is. I think he's still with 247. Was like their national recruiting analyst who is famous for casting his crystal balls and the accuracy of his crystal balls, those forecasts on where players are going to ultimately end up committing. But he says, didn't Wilt Fong have him crystal ball to Georgia not that long ago? And the answer, if I remember correctly, is yes, Carter. I think you are correct in that. that Steve Wiltfong did crystal ball Rayola to Georgia, not all that long ago. He is a player that we have long been connected to and we've recruited heavily for a long time. He's a 2024 quarterback, so it's not he is a rising junior. He's currently a sophomore in high school, a rising junior, so he is not a part of this current 2023 recruiting class. And Carter, I think you're gonna like my answer to your question. I don't have any inside, inside information. The people I've talked to have been giving me some really positive vibes. They feel really good about it. So I'm just kind of going off what I've heard and just also reading between the lines, reading the tea leaves, and you read some of these recruiting reports like like all of you do out there. But I think the answer to your question, what happened with Dylan Rayola? two words, a name, Arch Manning. I think that's what happened. I think that behind the scenes, just again, reading between the lines here, reading the tea leaves, I think this is indicative of how strongly we feel about our chances to land Arch Manning in the 2023 recruiting class, this current recruiting class. Because you're right, Carter, recently it seems like we haven't been mentioned as much when it comes to Rayola's recruitment, which is strange because for the better part of the last year or so, we have been mentioned prominently when it comes to his recruitment. We have recruited him very hard for a while now, so, to see us seemingly drop out of the conversation when it comes to his recruitment at this stage with more well one well more than a year left in his recruitment, to me, the way I read that, I could be totally wrong. I could be totally off base. But my read on that, from years and years and years of following recruiting is that he it's an open secret maybe in recruiting circles out there among people who would know that George is in a very good position to land Arch Manning. And it's not just Rayola. Some of the other guys that were, I would say, our backup plans after Arch Manning, if we ultimately didn't land him, have started to commit elsewhere as well. So, I mean, this is a month or so ago, but Nicholas Yamaliava, the guy, the five-star prospect, I think he's the number six quarterback in the country from California who committed to Tennessee, which was a big gift for the Volunteers. Good for them, I guess, whatever. But we were recruiting that guy as well. Now, maybe he just wanted to go to Tennessee. Now, I know he got a huge NIL deal. That was a big thing with Tennessee. They gave him a huge NIL deal, so he's off the table. But then when you see guys also like Dylan Lonergan from here in the state of Georgia, an in-state prospect from Brookwood High School in, in Gwinnett County, released his top five a month or so ago. And Georgia wasn't even in it. After he, Again, he's a guy that we had been recruiting heavily. We offered him back during the pandemic, like uh, during the 2020 season. And he's a top 100 quarterback, a top 100 prospect nationally. I think he's a, a top 10 quarterback in the country. And he left us out of his top five. We just randomly dropped out of his top five. And then I think within the past week or two, he's committed to South Carolina. So what I'm looking at here is that all these guys that we've been recruiting, whether it's in this class or next year's class at the quarterback position, have all started to either talk less and less about Georgia or just drop us off to the face of the earth when it comes to their recruitments. What that tells maybe we just forgot how to recruit, maybe, but what that tells me, I think what's more likely is that we are telling them or they are hearing somewhere that we are in very good shape to land Arch Manning. That's how I'm choosing to look at this. I could be way off base, 100%, but that's how I'm choosing to look at it. I've heard really good things about where we stand with Arch Manning from, from people who would know. The tea leaves seem to be pointing in the right direction if you follow things. Now, it's not a done deal. I mean, Texas is still heavily involved. Alabama is involved. NIL is going to play a major factor. But I think the answer to your question, Carter, is Arch Manning. Rayola is just not interested in coming in and following Arch Manning with no class separation. Okay. And finally, our last question, we'll, we'll leave this off with a fun one. I wanted to get to this one a couple of weeks ago, like when it was fresh news, because I kind of freaked out and I was extremely excited about it. I'm still very excited about it. But our good friend, Josh, my man, Josh, how you doing, buddy? Josh asked, Tyler, how are you feeling about the block letters, brother? Josh, my man, I truly cannot express how excited I am about the block letters returning. And I know some of you are probably like Charlie, and you're like, who cares what the uniforms look like? No one cares. I don't even notice numbers. That's fine. You don't have to notice them, but I notice them. And they've been cringy, man. Like the, the rounded, kind of cartoonish looking numbers of the Bulldog Bold font that we've had since 2012 was when we initially introduced that. I remember the day that we introduced it. I actually remember exactly what I was doing, what I was eating for lunch, where I was when we introduced our rebranding with the Bulldog Bold font and the new Bulldog logo, I guess it's not new anymore, but at the time it was new, I remember that so vividly because I was borderline disgusted about it. I still don't like the new Bulldog. It's fine. I've grown to be like agnostic towards it. I'm not like viciously angry every time I see it, like irrationally angry every time I see it, but I still don't like it. I still don't buy gear with that on it. I just, I don't, I don't love it. I don't, I don't. I'm going to be honest. Some of you I'm sure like it and that's great. It's a personal preference. I don't like it. I don't like the Bulldog bold font, like the actual lettering, like in our end zone, Georgia Bulldogs. I do not like that font. I think it's pretty lame if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Again, some of you probably disagree. A lot of you probably disagree and that's totally cool. But personally, I don't like the the lettering and I definitely do not like the number font that's been on on our uniforms. Especially when you had this classic uniform. Because I think our uniforms are classic. I love them. I think we have one of the best uniforms in college football. But we borderline ruined it with those numbers. Like I, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I've been kind of embarrassed about it. I don't really talk about it because it just annoys me and it gets me angry, it gets me going, gets me fired up. But it's it's been kind of embarrassing. I don't really like our I don't like those I don't like them. I don't I haven't liked the jerseys because of those numbers. So I am pumped up that we are officially bringing back the block numbers. In fact, some of you might remember this episode. It was a while ago, but back when Josh Brooks was officially hired, we ran an episode where we basically revealed our Josh Brooks AD wish list. So on January 18th, 2021, so over a year ago, we released this episode. It was titled Dear Josh Brooks, Please Consider Our UG Athletics To-Do List, January 18th, 2021. And in that episode, one of the things that was high up on my personal wish list was bringing back block numbers. In fact, getting rid of Bulldog Bold entirely. I do not think, from my understanding, we're not getting rid of Bulldog Bold entirely, especially the font, but at least we are bringing back the block numbers for football. And I think that is a cause for great celebration within the Georgia Bulldog fan base because it's just a great look, man. Now we're going to, once again going to have one of the best uniforms in all of college football. And yeah, I know a lot of you out there are shaking your head saying, dude, chill out. It's just uniforms. But I'm going to circle back to the very first question. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about the passion of the Georgia fan base. It is probably... In fact, almost certainly entirely irrational for me to care that much about what number font we use on our uniforms. But you know what? I do care that much. I do. And that's why Georgia is a recruiting superpower, because our fans care about things like that, and we get fired about anything that has to do with our beloved Georgia Bulldogs. But with that, guys, I am out of here I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. The weather should be nice once again. We have a great weekend set up here for George Athletics in the Classic City. The Diamond Dogs are welcoming Vanderbilt for a huge three-game series this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We lost a heartbreaker on Sunday, a walk-off in the ninth inning to LSU. So we ended up losing that series two to one when we had it. We had it, man. But we we let that one slip away at the end there. We have number one Tennessee on the road next weekend. So this one is huge. We don't want to have three series in a row that we dropped. That's going to really hurt our standing for the postseason. So this is a big series against the Commodores here in Athens, and it is postseason tennis time. Both the men's and women's tennis programs will be hosting the first and second round of the NCAA tournament here in Athens. The men kick things off on Friday at 2 p.m. The women will have their first round match on Saturday at 1 p.m., followed by the men's second round match on Saturday at 4 p.m., and the women will wrap things up with their second-round match on Sunday at 1 p.m. Tickets are cheap. I think five bucks, guys. You can order them now. Just look at my Twitter account, at glory underscore UGA. You can find the link there. Look at the, the Georgia men's and women's tennis Twitter accounts. You can find the link there. So a lot of great things going on in Athens. Coming up here. Make a weekend out of it. Enjoy yourself. But whatever you choose to do, have a great weekend. Enjoy your families. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.